there and welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful Thursday morning, March 11th, 2021. Why does that date ring a bell? He is Tristan H. Cockcroft, winner of Myriad Leagues, Fantasy Sage to All. Kyle Sapi produces and researches our fine show with the dexterity of a pro bowler. I'm just Eric Carabell. They needed a host. On today's show, Todd Zola, who knows a little bit something about baseball, will join us. The pride of ESPN Fantasy, Rotowire, SiriusXM, Masters Ball. He's everywhere. Todd handles our projections. We'll talk to him. But first, Tristan, hello to you. How is everything going? You seem happy today. You're in a good mood today, Tristan. I can't tell. I, know, I am, yeah. Your, your, your 311 reference was to that you know great band that began in the 90s. You know, we're down with, uh, with fantasy baseball, and you know, the show is always all mixed up. Later in today's fine show, Kyle reads the hash browns and the trivia, and we talk about the latest injuries and news and all that stuff. But let's just bring in Todd because he's so cool, and he has our projections at ESPN Fantasy. And I have some questions for him, and I suspect, Tristan, you might as well. Todd, how are you this fine day? Uh, I was doing well until I heard that. I thought this was going to be a fun interview. <laughs> we, we bring the challenges. We do this at the summit, but we're obviously not having a summit this year. So I thought I was over and above, not over and above, but I thought I was past that. Oh, well, let's go for it. <laughs> this is this will be a fun interview, Todd, because right, I, right. I have I don't know how you do the projections and how you do them so well and how they're so accurate. So I want I want answers. And I think our listeners, they deserve answers. I don't know what I'm saying. Honestly, I'm I'm just crazy right now. Um, anyway, let's talk about them. The projections, they're at ESPN sure. and then they're on all the other sites that you work on as well. And they may be a little bit different there. But take us inside the process a little bit. And my first question is 2020, what a terrible year. But for baseball, how much do those stats matter in your 2021 projections? You know, the, the answer is no one knows. It's all empirical. It's all a guess. But the way I ended up doing it was, well, first we'll explain really quickly. Most foundations are a three-year or five-year average where the most recent season counts the most, usually about half. So half of the of the foundation is the most previous season. That would be kind of unfair this past year with the shortened season, everything that weird that went on. So I just maneuvered the numbers so that 2020, 2019 were about the same, kind of about the same. But with the caveat, I was much more liberal with going in and adjusting things how I saw fit, which a good engine, you, you want to minimize the times you do that. But there's no, there's no way around it. You had to make a lot of judgment calls. But that was the starting point where I felt 2020, 2019, using the weights and the plate appearances for each season, were about the same into the foundation. And Todd, I think one of the things the listeners are, are most interested in are the specifics of what you might have adjusted. So uh, you and I have talked a lot over the offseason. I brought this up on our shows during the offseason that you've got some great insights as to the, the specifics. Um I'll throw you a couple of these great points. I want you to dive in the ones you think are the most important. All right. The divisional play from last year was a big topic. Uh, we hear this a lot with Trevor Bauer. We hear it with Zach Plesak. There are two examples off-sighted that central division pitchers got a big benefit there. Uh, another is the baseball, the fact that the baseball is supposed to be deadened this year. To what degree are we weighting that in the projections? And then the third is the designated hitter. I mean, you and I have been talking about this. Will there be one? Won't there be one? Eric and I are talking about it just from a ranking oh. perspective. But for projections, I'm sure that's got to be a nightmare. Yes, it is, especially because I'm a, a goofball. And I'm at this point carrying through with and without. Remind, you know, back, how long ago was it we had Ryan Braun clean and dirty? 
I have 2013, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I have projections with and without. So as you guys know, we kind of we went public with the without because that's what's happening right now. But the first couple behind the scenes sets to get things straightened out were with DH because we all assumed there would be a DH. And if it turns out within a week left, they switch it. I've got the other database. I just call up if I make sure I call up the right database and we can reload them on, on site real quick. But since I'm talking about the DH, everybody thinks about the, the, you know, the some of the hitters, Dominic Smith and Kyle Schwarber, that may pick up a few more at bats. And they all, you know, in, in they intuitively assume that, you know, the NL pitchers get better. But what I need to do on the actual projection engine is if there's, if there's uh, this way, well, well, we'll talk about with no DH is I had to take 2020 numbers because, right, they were facing a DH, NL pitchers, and I had to maneuver, massage them. What would those numbers have been had they not faced a DH? So then when I add them into the, the foundation the previous couple of seasons, we're on an even par. So yeah, I just look to see what what looking at previous numbers and strikeout rate and home run rate and walk rate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and just sort of, you know, artificially change them as if they didn't face a DH and now everything apples and apples. If it's the other way, if there is going to be a universal DH, then I have to do what we did in a rush job last season, and that's take 2018 and 19, and last year we went back to 17, and massage those numbers as if the pitchers had faced a DH. So adjust the K rates and the walk rates and the hit rates and home run rates, et cetera, as if they faced a DH, and then run the foundation to get the the basis of the three year average, and then go in and maneuver it up and down uh, to taste and et cetera. So those are the sort of behind the scenes nerdy uh, changes. Now the problem is, and this is the same with every every projection engine, not every pitcher is affected the same. You know, the site, the strikeouts, and the walks—they're not all going up and down equally. But we don't—you kind of have to do it that way. It's kind of like park effects. Not every player is affected by the park the same way, but you apply the park effect linearly. So that's where the massaging comes in. I think this guy, uh, you know, is such a crafty veteran. He's going to still strike out more batters than everybody else or whatever it might be. So you go in and adjust him. But that's the uh, that was the, the DH adjustment along with the playing time. The uh, the zones, the, geogra- the, the geography. This is a tough one because – you can't just look at WOBA or whatever, OPS, whatever number you want of the 30 teams and just line them up one to 30 and say, ah, oh, the top, the bottom eight of them are AL and NL Central, therefore they're bad or they're good or whatever it might be. Because each of these zones was its own league. And this is obviously hyperbole, but you don't take the OPSs or the WOBAs from the Pacific Coast League and throw them in with MLB and judge the teams. And I know that's an extreme, but that's, you know, the, the, the quality is much closer. So, you know, what the actual differences have to do with the quality of the pitching within the zone and the hitting within the zone. You take the 10 best teams, hitting teams, you put them in the same zone, and one of them is going to have a bad, uh, the worst of the, uh, you know, the worst WOBA, the worst OPS, whatever it might be. But you, then you take the 10 worst and you put them in the same zone and, and the, the two – the same Wobas aren't going to be equal because of the competition. So it's tough just to jump them together. It, it, it's somewhat of an intuitive judgment looking at past performances. And it just comes out that the Central was worse. 
Now the problem is how much do you adjust? That's what you don't know. If that's again, it's empirical because you can't put a number on it because again, you can't really compare. But I, I came up with my numbers and I, similar to what I said with the DH, I adjusted the engines as if NL Central pitchers faced more neutral competition. And even with even with the adjustments, there's still some very good pitching in the NL Central and NL Central. But if you don't make the adjustments, there'll be slight differences in the rankings. But that was all done empirically, too, just by looking at previous numbers and what team is improving, what team's not improving, what do you think is going to be this year? And knock on wood, it comes out, you know, making the adjustment, it may not be perfect, but it's better than not making it. Todd, I suspect sometimes when you look at your own projections, you say, well, I'm taking this guy over this guy, even though his projections might be worse. So can you tell us how projections and rankings for you might be a little bit different? Right. OK, so this is one of the it's one doing doing what I do. I, I do projections for a living. So it's real difficult to tell people, you know, ignore projections because I'm sort of, you know, saying don't pay me. But that's what you do. So projections are a basis. Projections are a starting point. Um, one of the ways I like to look at you know, is, and, and not just that, the projections, the projection, we did a points league mock uh, the other day for the site. We did a, a categories mock the week before. The The rankings are also dependent upon the format. But even even having said that, this team construct, this team build, and uh, Chris Archer was the sort of the, the guy that we always looked at in the past as everybody had him you know, next in their queue, but no one would draft him. This year it's Grenke, I think. Zach Greinke is, is this is, is this is the, is the guy this year. So I think it has to do with team construct, team build. To me, I'm not passing on Zach Greinke, uh, you know, with the projection. I'm passing on a guy who's a little bit older and has a wider range of variants, and you know, just don't want to be too one year too early or one year too late. Actually, I'm drafting Greinke at my projection, but other people aren't that sort of thing. So it you have to fold in team drunk, team construction. Risk, risk avoidance, risk aversion, upside, downside, uh, positional factors, and you have to start somewhere. So the, to me, the, 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 you start with the projections and then you turn them into rankings, which fold into some of that stuff. And then when you're actually drafting, you, you don't have to – you don't follow the rankings just because, I mean, as a stream example, I mean, uh, Nick Madrigal is your top guy and uh, list on your rankings, but you're already set in batting average and steals. He doesn't help your team. So you skip over him and you go to the next guy. Well, you had him ranked next. Well, you know, I, Jonathan Scope is better for my team than Nick Madrigal because what I already have. So even then, rankings have to be fluid. Todd, I have no idea who you're talking about, about people not drafting Zach Cranky. No clue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Todd, you know I'm a huge proponent of your projections. I also am uh, very much so of the custom uh, dollar value generator that we have at ESPN um, and that, of course, being fueled by your projections engine, which you built. Uh, but what I get occasionally is the question of if somebody would like to build their own projections, just even a basic set. I talk about this in my playbook, as a matter of fact, for people who are kind of becoming intermediate players. What's a way that somebody could uh, uh, tweak your projections, for example, or if they wanted to build just a very basic set, kind of to, to, to have their own flavor to things? Playing time to be honest, is, is, is the way to make it your own. And whether it's, if you have access to ESPN, you can download these projections. There's some free, there's some free sites on fan graphs. You can download some of those projections and, the, and, and you just keep every, you know, if you can do with Excel, if, if you feel someone's going to get 
600 plate appearances and the projection is 500, just prorate it, prorate everything up, and you have your own projections. That's really the difference. There will be players who we differ on skills, especially now because we have some of the Statcast data. We can, you know, we've got some proprietary data on site that we can use to fine tune regressions. Because uh, what I, I haven't really said it, but I've kind of alluded to it. I don't, you know, we, we project skills. And then from the skills come the outcomes, and that's based on team context, batting order, uh, lineup around them, et cetera. But the the skills we can we're starting to be able to fine tune with Statcast data regression, and so there are a few more differences with skills than there've been in the past. But take any publicly available or anything you get your hands on and adjust the playing time. I mean, I've talked about this. If you know, if the genie came down and said, I can tell you the slash line in the ratios of every single hitter and pitcher, or I can tell you they're at bats and innings pitched, which do you want? I want their at bats and innings pitched, right? I mean, that's what I want. Uh, so your own projections is your own playing time. All right. My final question, Todd is, uh, can you teach an Excel class and how much would you charge? And can I be in the class? Cause I don't know what I'm doing on Excel and you are like the master of it. Uh, that's not a real question. I'm sure you would teach a good, Excel it's a good class. question. <laughs> He's amazing at it. And yeah. you and Tristan are like like the world's foremost people at this. And I like I know how to open it. And then like I make mistakes and I have to email Tristan. Um, I want my I want to ask you this. Does spring training matter? There's there's guys right now who are hitting and there are guys right now who are pitching and some are doing it well and some are not. And I'm wondering how often in March are you going to update these things? Joey Gallo homers every day. Are you updating his projection? Garrett Richards keeps getting lit up. Are you updating his? Do you care what happens in March or not? I don't care about the numbers. I care about the effect of the numbers on their playing time. If the Joey Gallo is going to play, so I'm not worried about that. If Garrett Richards keeps getting lit up and Tanner Hawk or whoever, somebody else from the Red Sox is, 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 is if it's seen, if Alex Cork comes out and says, Richards is going to start out as my swing man, I make the adjustments there. I, I make very, very few adjustments. The only ones I'll make is if I'm downgrading. I don't know, Cody Bellinger because of the injury, Xander Bogarts because of the injury, JT Riamuto because of their injury. And even then, it's more playing time than it is skills. Although some of the shoulder injuries, you know, I may downgrade a little bit as far as performance goes and assume they catch up later. But that's what I care about. I don't care about the actual numbers. From a from a drafter's point of view, I love when the uh, a guy comes up and beats out the, the the presumed favorite at the position and everybody jumps that guy up in their rankings and their draft sheet. I, I prefer to pay, you know, a, a, a lot less for the guy that got beat out because chances are he's going to get the job back. The old buy skills, not roles thing. I like it. Yeah. Todd, I know you and I follow somewhat similar off season processes in terms of researching players. So I'll, I'll wrap with this one for you. I want to give you just a chance to give me your big three takeaways from your off-season process. I know it's a little different for you. You're very scientific. That's one of the things I, I think you bring a huge amount of expertise to the industry and in that you dig deep into the science of baseball. Uh, I know one of the things you talked about a lot was the, the, the wall scraping guys with the baseball changes. Give me a, a big three thoughts, maybe specific players that, that you learned during that off-season process. Who are they for you? Yeah, so what I'm getting more into now is component exit velocity and component spin. All you see is – well, not all you see, but they, on the broadcast, and we talk about average exit velocity. Remember when BABIP first came out, every pitcher regressed to the same BABIP? Then we learned that ground ball pitchers have a higher BABIP than fly ball pitchers because ground balls go for hits more than fly balls. Component exit velocity, you need to look at ground ball, fly ball, and line drive. And an average exit – the more uppercut the swing, 
the more higher exit velocity on fly balls and the lower on ground balls. So you can't just look at the average exit velocity and assume the player's uh, power is going to gain or, or, or drop. Hunter Renfro is an example of someone with an extreme uh, ground ball, low ground ball, but high fly ball, average exit velocity. So if he actually gets the job in Fenway Park, and he should, I like Hunter Renfro as a bounce back category uh, candidate just because you look at the average exit velocity, you say ah, he, his power isn't as good, isn't isn't as prolific, but on, on fly balls, it the average exit velocity is huge. And for what it's worth, average exit velocity, and this is the other one, one of my other takeaways, was average exit velocity on uh, for base hits. It matters. There's a correlation, but it's it's fairly small. And it, it one of the weird things is the uh, correlation for fly balls is negative. The softer you hit a fly ball, it doesn't go out of the park. The better chance of it becoming a hit. It's just it falls in front. Texas League or blooper, whatever you want to call it. Uh, when you hit a little harder, you get the old can of corn to use the lexicon. So that was the other takeaway was was make sure you understand the fly ball and average exit velocity on on uh, for for batting average isn't the be all end all. You can't go to uh, Statcast and look at the levers and they're all red and pink and figure that that average is 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 jumping is jumping way up. And uh, the third, I mean, the third takeaway. It, well, you we, we asked about the ball, so I'll just kind of answer that question. I'm not making too many adjustments, it, just because one or two feet over 375 feet feet of distance. Yes, it's going to matter, and it might matter more for some and, and more for some pitchers. But we also don't know the ball slightly smaller. What's going to happen out of the pitcher's hand? Parks are going to have humidors. So I'm just kind of whatever happens. It's not going to happen equally to every player, but I'm going to just say it is. And, and, and roll the changes just because we can't get it that granular. But the third takeaway, we've talked about this, is just throw 2020 park factors out the window. They just – we wrote about the, wrote about this on the site. They mean nothing. They're too short of a sample to be meaningful. Yes, there's some parks that um, – well, Lynn only had one year. Uh, 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 Texas, Globe Life Field. We don't know – we really don't know enough. We still have to go with our original expectations. San Francisco, they are they going to have the tarp over the, the the portholes or not? It looked like it was helping the wind and helping hitters. We just don't know. I use it as a tiebreaker. I'm not adjusting Mike Yastrzemski and Alex Dickerson, but if I'm looking at those two players against somebody else, I'm taking them because what if, what if Oracle Park is a little bit more hitting friendly? So throw park factors out the window in general. Make your best guess when you have to. Good stuff. Yeah. Thank you, Todd. It's it's. Excellent as always, and you know I strongly recommend. As I said, you, you know check out your projections, and of course the custom dollar dollar value generator. Always that's a tough thing to say in the four words on there, which uh, again use the uh, projections engine. All right, now we're back. Great interview there with Todd Zoll. Great guy, great projections. Let's talk about the news of the day, and then we'll get to the uh, hash browns. Tristan, um, not a whole lot's going on. We have some elbow soreness, elbow injuries for some pitchers. Um, it's a big deal for them. Carlos Carrasco, the Mets. Um, now the Mets are saying he might not be ready for opening day. What say you? Uh, would you still draft him where you are, or would you downgrade him? Actually, I'm a little bit concerned, and I, I just so hate to go to the Carlos Carrasco as an injury history because I think a lot of it just had to do with the fact he missed time recovering from leukemia in 2019. I don't think he deserves the negative attention, but it's it's bad timing because by, by March 10th, which is the, the point where this came up, 
it's going to make it difficult for him to be ready for opening day. So it means we have to adjust the projection of 25, 28 starts. I mean, I, I'm going to bump him down about maybe three starting pitcher spots. How about you? Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned. Um, you know, whenever there's an elbow injury, now it's not even the eyes of March yet, so I don't want to get assume that these guys aren't ready for April, but the Mets are already saying he might not be ready. The Blue Jays are already saying Nate Pearson might not be ready for opening day or opening week. Yep. So when teams are telling you that a pitcher is not going to be ready, you know, obviously I think that everybody's going to be a little, little extra cautious this season with their pitchers and with injuries, but – yeah, I mean, Carrasco has to leave my top 20. Pearson has to leave my top wherever I had him, 40. I, I want healthy players. I don't want to have to deal. There was already the risk of, you know, the virus. And now with a pitcher's elbows hurting, I mean, that's – or, you know, I think Pearson's with the groin. Either way, it's just – yeah, it's a shame. And there's nobody on the Mets that I would want to add to my rankings because of this. It's – um. It, 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 I think that the that teams are very concerned about workloads is the reason to worry more than you would in spring training. Uh, one of the other things for the Blue Jays is that actually could open up a spot for Ross Stripling. And now that's not to say that I think he's a great fantasy pick, but he has had some good times in the past. Last year was a, just a miserable year. Maybe the opportunity does put him back on the radar as an in-season pickup, I think. A couple of relievers I want to discuss. Maybe you want to do the little closer carousel song here. It's the closer carousel. So your Yankees uh, could be without Zach Britton for half of the season, if not more. Yeah. Bone yeah. chips in the elbow. And we just kind of always assume that Zach Britton is next in line for saves and is a, a really good pitcher who you can pick up in leagues with holds. And he'll give you a safe ERA and whip, good ground ball guy. But without him out, does that affect the way you view uh, either the Yankee closer or the Yankee team? Or is there somebody that you want to move up in a holds league because oh, you think they'll be the eighth inning guy? It it doesn't change things that much for me other than the Yankees might have. I mean, I, I think that their plan was to build a deep bullpen because they didn't expect their starters to go deep. So are they going to put a little bit more on guys like Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyone and the relatively untested David Garcia, Jordan Montgomery, maybe. Um, for the closer thing, the one little wrinkle is there could be some opportunities for cheap saves from guys like Chad Green, maybe even Darren O'Day or Justin Wilson on a situational basis. Because remember, Chapman has that, that those couple days suspension to serve. So I do think there's going to be maybe an opportunity in week one. Stunning. Uh, with the Texas Rangers, uh, Jonathan Hernandez has a UCL sprain in his elbow. That's bad news. He can miss quite a bit of time as well, which is a shame because I was getting him on all my teams because I assumed that he was going to take the closer role from Jose Leclerc, who probably walked somebody while I was speaking. Um, what are your thoughts on the Texas situation there? I, I, you know, p- people are going to now go, go towards Leclerc more. I think that's a mistake. I just don't think he's that good. <laughs> you know, what do you think? Yeah. I, I, and I was with you. You had, you actually are one of the primary people who has persuaded me to look more into Hernandez. And as I did, I really liked him to the point that it was one of the most disappointing things in labor that I did not get Hernandez in order to try to get some speculative saves. I'm with you on that. I don't think it's going to happen now. I'm really concerned that this costs him maybe the entirety of the year, but it's certainly keeping him off the draft radar. And I agree. I don't think this helps. I don't think this really boosts Leclerc's appeal. He has to get better as a pitcher. If anything, this just puts maybe Joely Rodriguez uh, on the radar as a, as the next in line. And I'm not excited about him, but it's just you need to know the next in line. Ian Kennedy is a ranger. He is. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he got saves two seasons ago and he pitched quite well. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, too. if I'm an AL only, I might throw a dollar his way. Um, nobody seems to want Daniel Bartris, and, and I guess I'm included in that. In all my leagues, whether it's a mock or a league that counts, nobody's drafting him. He's rostered in like 17% of ESPN standard mixed. And he pitched well last year. He's clearly Colorado's closer, I believe. People keep throwing Scott Oberg's name out there, and I don't buy that. He comes coming back from that uh, that that uh, it, that surgery that nobody comes back from. Um, and I'll blood look it plotting up. or something, didn't he? Yeah, yeah I, I just I don't see a, Scott. It was a blood condition. I remember that. All right, so it wasn't what I was thinking it, but it's still something serious enough that I just don't see how he's going to be in play. Like, why is Daniel is? Should we even look at Daniel Bard? I mean, Daniel Bard is like we project. Todd Zola projects him for twenty six saves. Why is nobody wanting to draft Daniel Bard? Yeah, so with Oberger, it was, it was blood clots, um, which can be a, a pretty serious issue, and it's why you're hearing a lot of talk about they're, they're just not sure what to expect out of him. And I think we're, as a group in fantasy, of avoiding the Rockies relievers, partially because we recognize that Oberg is more deserving of getting that closer's job, but that this is a serious thing to come back from and that the Rockies are going to take it conservatively. I also think... People are just terrified of the ballpark. I think it's all about the ballpark. And frankly, they probably also think this is a 100-loss team, so there aren't going to be saves. I'm with you. Bard is actually going at a pretty good rate. If you're going the cheap route, you you shouldn't be overlooking. Uh, And finally, the Reds. uh, Amir Garrett has a forearm strain. Uh, That's usually a precursor to something bad. Uh, Lucas Sims with the elbow. Sean Doolittle is just bad right now. TJ Antone? If you're dra- like, I see people still drafting multiple Cincinnati relievers and ignoring like other teams like Colorado. I don't get that. I mean, I don't know if Cincinnati's going to be any good. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts on the Reds? The Reds are a tough read because of the roles I think they want them to have. The Reds would love to see Michael Lorenzen take that fifth starter job. Antone is so far out pitching him. They'd rather have Antone be a multi-inning reliever. I agree with them on that. I think there can be a great amount of value, kind of like Freddie Peralta with the Brewers. Antone could be that kind of guy for the Reds. They might have to use him at closer. Antone's going to get value for you one place or another. I agree with you. He's a, a very good value pick. I think people are, are warming to him, but they could very much go committee. Lucas Sims at least is starting to get a little bit better injury reports. Maybe he's a factor a couple weeks in. They could use Sean Doolittle maybe for situational saves. I think that's probably the way they go. They're going to go committee initially, and you just wait and see. All right. In non-closer news, um, Joey Votto tested positive for the virus. It's still a thing, people. Wear your masks. Yep. Social distance, if you want. Um, but he's not, not going to play in a game for at least 10 days, and that might affect opening day for him as well. They obviously have plenty of outfitters, so they have plenty of people who can play the position. But uh, as we start to hear about more um, positive virus tests, does that affect it? Like, if you were doing a draft today, would you still draft Votto? Or, like, if you were going to already? I'm not saying he's a, you know, a definite guy you have to draft. But, like, he's a 25th round pick in ESPN ADP. Do you have to t- – do, do you downgrade him now or no? Well, because of that in our game, if he's at the cutoff, I lean more towards the no. But I'm perfectly okay with him where, with where he's going in ADP from a broad perspective. And that's anything larger than our standard game especially. I think he's valued about right. I'm intrigued by the, the, his attempt to change his approach that he's willing to sacrifice strikeouts in order to get a little bit more power. So I think there's a little value with Votto. And I'm not that worried about if a player has uh, tested positive this early, that they could get healthy in time for opening day. You might have lingering issues like Yohan Moncada last year, but I'm not going to go to to pe- press the panic button at this stage. Uh, Danny Santana is a Boston Red Sox. Do you care? 
I, I'll try to be nice, but no, I don't. And and the main reason is he's coming off an injury that I think is going to cost him at least a month's time. So when you're on a non-guaranteed deal like that, he's going to have to his, to earn his way into a role on a team that already has a lot of players with multi-position flexibility. 2020 guy, two seasons ago. That was a monster year. It, you know what it is? Somebody's going to have to either disappoint or get hurt and open a, a spot for him. Like it, I don't, it, I don't assume Marwin Gonzalez is playing. Okay, I, I just think he's on. But the he's team. healthy today. That's the thing. He's healthy today, and they have Enrique Hernandez, who does some of the same things. Michael Chavis, who doesn't know what his role is and is not too happy about it. Yeah. Um, also, so I keep, I continue to run away from young starting pitchers because it sounds like the teams are not going to give them a grand opportunity to pile up innings. The Marlins are the latest team saying that six of Sanchez's innings will be capped. Philadelphia is not going to start the season with Spencer Howard in the rotation. I'm just telling you right now, Matt Moore and Chase Anderson are going to make the rotation unless they're not healthy. Uh, and they've got the other three. Uh, Michael Kopech is going to the White Sox bullpen. Mackenzie Gore, maybe he makes the Padres, but if he does, he be in the bullpen. You're going to see all season long teams, organizations being really cautious with starting pitching. And now it's making me wonder if I'm just fading them all. Are you? Pearson's and, different. Nate Pearson's yeah, different. But, it, you know. It's situational based on the the asking price of the draft table. And I think you're right that a lot of them are a little bit too optimistic. And and Sanchez is a good one that you brought up because he's one who I understand he had the false positive uh, COVID test result. Um, but it, that, that represents a delay in getting up to speed. And I, I think that the advantage we could have for fantasy goes back to my Peralta example that I think a lot of teams are going to have a guy like that. And we don't yet know the identity of the individual, but these next two weeks, we are going to learn who that individual is. And if they're guys like Antone and if Sanchez winds up being that guy, and if somehow the Phillies decided that Spencer Howard was that guy, I agree with you. I don't think it's happening. If Garrett Crochet winds up being that guy for the White Sox, that could be the real driving force to your fantasy team. The pitcher that's not going to burn starts. If you're in a starts cap league, that you could throw in gives you ratios, Ks, uh, and helps plug in spots in your daily lineup. All right, that's the news of the day. Let's bring Kyle in now for some trivia and some hash browns. Hello again, Kyle. Hello. Trivia time. Since the beginning of 2019, two starting pitchers have a sub one whip and a hard hit rate under 35%. I want you to name them both. Again, that's since the beginning of 2019. Now we'll get to the questions that matter from the listeners. Nate, as a six-keeper league, no limit how long you can keep a player. He wants to know if Wander Franco is worth a look in a league like that over proven guys like George Springer or Nolan Arenado. Mm. Be awfully tough. I mean, like Springer and Arenado are proven players, and they're going, they're not going anywhere in the next four or five years. But Wander Franco could be better in the rankings in two years. Could be better next year. You know, he's a guy with power, with speed. In middle infield eligibility, um, but he has not played in the major leagues yet. So, Tristan, what say you here? I, I'd have a tough time. I'd have a tough time keeping Wander Franco over Nolan Arenado. Would you? I would too, from a basic perspective here. But it's a sixty to seventy-two if it's ten or twelve teams total keepers kept year after year, and the no penalty at forever. I mean, you could keep the guy forever really catches my eye here. Um, the thing I like about Franco, and I, I actually do think of this case, I think I'd lean towards taking uh, Franco over Arenado because he's going to give you a good base when he comes up. He's got great plate discipline, some of the best we've ever seen from a prospect, and he steals bases. 
That's what you want to see from a guy who's debuting. That's an extremely high floor for a prospect. And my answer might look ridiculous in three months. I I don't know. I I, I think, and I rank Franco better for this season than most people do. I have him like in my top 200, but man, I just... You could, no, look, you could be dead on and Franco gives you nothing this year. Arenado has a huge bounce back and that one year was completely worth it. It's, It's a very difficult decision. We're teetering on the line with that. Arenado's a nice bargain in drafts this season, I got to say. Yes. Springer Springer is fine, but I mean, our people are really down, downgrading Arenado too much. Next. Sean wants to know what hitters move most up in your ranks if they move to OBP from batting average. Well, obviously, you're looking at guys who take walks. And you see, you know, I, I wrote in my do not draft that I wouldn't touch players that, that don't hit for average or that kill your batting average. I, I'm not no don't hit for average. You know, Peter Alonzo doesn't hit for average, but he doesn't kill it. Joey Gallo can kill it. <laughs> but in a league like this, Joey Gallo takes walks. I don't care about batting average. Joey Gallo moves way up. You know, I mean, we say Votto and Carlos Santana move back. In our points league draft on two, on Wednesday, um, I, I ended up taking Carlos Santana like around 10 or 11. And that made a lot of sense because in a points league and with all the walks really helps. But I mean, you're looking at like later picks like uh, Nimmo, who takes walks, Mark Hanna of, the, of Oakland. Um Obviously, Tommy LaStella, who has more walks and strikeouts. Biggio, these are guys that would move up in an OBP league, right? Yeah, and um, one of the quickest, simplest ways that you could do this contrast if you don't have a lot of time is simply download the batting averages on base percentages and do the combina- uh, do the comparison between the two of them. And the players with the largest amount are going to move up on your draft board. I, I know this is an easy thing to say, but I don't think people understand the, how dramatic it is. Mike Trout. Mike Trout actually gets a pretty darn substantial boost in an on-base percentage. He's number one. Wouldn't he be number one in any league where he's yeah. on base instead of batting? Not that it, he's – yeah. Unless it's bad Juan bad. Soto. Unless it, Juan Soto, I think, gets a you know a decent enough boost there. But, yeah, you're right. I, I do think there's – I think there's a case to be made that, that Mike Trout is the number one pick in an on-base percentage league. And he went like – I had the ninth pick in that points league, and Trout was still there. I took him ninth in the points league, but you're I was right. shocked, yeah. And it's not like it's not like, you know, Tatis or Mookie are hitting for a bad batting average. But I mean, they don't have the on base percentage that Trout and Soto do. So I I think you can make a case. Soto Trout would be one, two in in either order if you're using on base. What else we got? Nimmo might be, by the way, the new Carlos Santana, the the known the known benefit guy in an on base percentage league. It was Carlos Santana for years. I think it it might well be now be Brandon Nimmo. I just don't know if Nimmo is going to get 500 PAs because I bet they play Pilar in center field against lefties. So that's something to watch. Possible, yeah, man. Longtime listener show is up next. He wants to know why you went so cheap on pitching in your labor salary cap leagues. Is it because of variance or something else? It is because of variance. Um, so, I, and I wrote this up in my column so you can check out the the full details. But to to quickly summarize, um, I wanted to get guys who had very wide ranges. They could have a an extremely generous ceiling, but the floor is pretty dangerous. And the reason I wanted the dangerous floors is that if they're absent or terrible, I'm not afraid to cut them. And I have spots to fill off the waiver wire and by trades. I wanted to get extra hitters and deal with the problem later because I just I think that it's gonna be I think it's gonna be almost impossible for us to brick what workloads truly are, what the impact of the baseball change is gonna be. I just didn't want to take the chance. I want to delay that decision. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. All right. Last one here comes from Josh. He wants to know who your dynasty preference is, Dylan Moore or Nick Sanzel? It's definitely not Dylan Moore. Dylan Moore is not that good. Um, I don't want to be mean. He's better than me, but he's really not a 
kind of an older guy, uh, d- didn't hit the ball hard last season. You wouldn't have noticed him if he didn't steal bases. And you might not notice him if Ty France just hits better. <laughs> and he's Ty France at second base. So I think Dylan Moore might disappoint this season. I, I, Nick Senzel, I, I, you give him one more shot to win the center field job, really should be their starting, you know, third baseman or second baseman, but they made some bad free agent moves. Um, neither, but Senzel over Moore would be my preference in anything. What do you say, Tristan? Am I wrong about Dylan Moore? I, I think I'd give him a little more credit than you're giving him, but I, I agree that I'm not. I'm just not excited from a dynasty perspective. Now, granted, he's 28, so it's not like he's at the you know decli- potentially declining stage of his career. But since he's 25, and I like the, I really like the confidence play by the Reds that they they really want him to be their everyday center fielder this year. I think that's a big plus considering the options they have in that outfield, and. What, what was it, two years ago we were talking about him as a potential, you know, 2020 type? He had 12 what? home runs. He had 12 home runs and 14 stolen bases in 2019 and 409 plate appearances. You could, you could see a pathway to a 2020 season. You could also see a pathway to a lot of injuries. And yeah. that's been the problem with Senzel. So I think this is an important year for him. Um, not his last chance by any means, but you take you know a chance he, on a guy like this. And you, and you know what it is with Senzel is that if Senzel is another disappointing year, could he wind up being, you know, what Dylan Moore was at that stage of career, his career two years from now? Yeah, he might just be a change of scenery guy who moves back to second base or something. All right, that'll do it for questions. Now we're going back to trivia. Since the beginning of 2019, two starting pitchers, not one, but two, have a sub one whip with a hard hit rate under 35%. Can you name them for me? I assume it's not just the obvious like DeGrom and, you know, Garrett Cole types, right? There's got to be somebody. I was thinking it was DeGrom as one of them and the other would be a tough one. Yeah. Tristan is 100% correct. So DeGrom is one of them. I didn't want to give, you know, make it one of those ultra specific questions where it's just one corny answer. So DeGrom is great. He is the correct, one of the correct answers. Who is number two? What's the minimum that's just qualified. So starting pitchers, nothing ridiculous. Oh, if, it's, if it's qualified, that's a that's a pretty hearty amount. Oh, geez. Yeah, no, I'm not not trying to get you in like a middle reliever kind of guy that you know through just qualified as fifty, and they went like fifty point one. Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw is not on the list. Okay. See, it, I would go to Kyle Hendricks next, but I don't think the whip was low enough. Not a bad guess. Great first name, but no. Kershaw was actually the better guess. He did have a sub one whip, but the hard hit rate was a little high. Okay. Did Zach Gallen have a sub one whip? He did not. It's probably everybody's darling from last season, Maeda. Oh, my God. You don't guess correctly when you're actually guessing, but when you throw it away like Puig or Maeda here, you get it right. So, yes. Wow. Maeda. Fan of, uh, I think, Todd Zola, big fan, no? Yeah, he. I actually, when I saw where he ranked Maeda, I went back and checked and looked. And I was like, "Wow, what's going on here?" And then I moved Maeda way up. I mean, if Zola says something, I I listen. Um, yeah, I mean, Zola had a great season. Zola uh, Maeda had a great season in twenty twenty. I think Zola did too. Um, but yeah, I mean, he looked great. I, I can he throw one hundred seventy five innings this year? I, you know, I mean, I that's think like so. his- I think he can. What do we project? I mean, Zol probably hasn't projected to win the Cy Young. Let me check here. But our projection has <laughs> But I mean, he was he. I know he was good as a Dodger the year before, and I thought, okay, you know, there might be something. He's got there. him for 170 innings, which would be fine. Yeah, 
He's got a, it looks like the projection in the, the dollar generator has got him about the 14th starting pitcher, which I think seems about right. I mean, it seems so unusual, but I, I think he's pretty darn legit. I think he's legit. I just, you know, when you're getting to that, like I would take my eight over Carrasco right now. Would I take him over Zach Gallon? I, I don't think so. I wouldn't take him over Luis Castillo, but you know, I could be wrong about that. I mean, you know, my that was those are some good numbers. And Ryu leaving the Dodgers too. I mean, people just assume that these these guys are doing it because of their Dodgers. Well, they're they're doing it after Dodgers too. Who's your guy between Maeda and Brandon Woodruff? Who's my guy? I don't know. What my rankings say they're terrible. Um, oh, oh, I would take Woodruff if you're asking that. Yeah, I know Kyle loves Woodruff. I sure do. He's the man. <laughs> You know, Woodruff, not- uh, Woodruff, yeah, I was going to write him for the 20, but I just think he's too high profile at this point. So, but uh, yeah, with you, so, yeah, so Speaking of, what are you writing? Tell us what uh, what you, the, the fantasy god here is writing about. We both did labor recaps this week, but what, what do you have coming up? Because I, I don't know if it, here is, is there a budget. I don't know what's happening. You got so. to tell me yours as well. But yeah, I've got the Tristan's 20 is coming up tomorrow. So those are the, you know, the, the plant your flag style columns. Um, well, maybe we'll talk about that on Monday. What do you think? Yeah. I did my do draft players. That's up today. Uh, I'm sure you checked it. I'm sure that the first thing that y- you do is go to the site and see, did Eric write something? Or maybe you don't. I don't know. Um, I go to the re- generator first. I'm sorry. Then do you. <laughs> All right, you How many times am I going to mention that? <laughs> put on your socks. Get a haircut. All right. That's- oh, yeah, yeah, no, you did. Haircut. You got your haircut in the last two weeks. I got my haircut in the last two weeks plus a year that's yeah. it for today's show <laughs> goodbye um we're a two times a week podcast now we'll be back on monday unless you know something changes with that if you're looking for more baseball talk check out buster only's baseball tonight podcast uh and if you're looking for some games to play the uh, ncaa bracket is released on sunday night um go nova make sure you brush up on some hoops as well and kyle i think you have a role in that as well with ncaa hoops check out kyle tweets about college basketball all the time he knows what he's talking about so you you should be following a kyle sapi anyway for this show but you should be doing it for college basketball and pro football and all of those stuff kyle really knows his stuff Appreciate and that. i think as with tristan and zola he knows how to do excel whereas all i know how to do is open it and then email or text tristan and say i broke <laughs> something which i never normally do <laughs> you you know a lot more about it than you think you do you keep Always- sending me these tabs i'm ignoring these tabs <laughs> I'm fading the tabs that you keep emailing me. Somebody else must be doing them because I'm not doing them. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much to Todd Zoll. He's awesome. You can follow him on Twitter. And uh, Tristan and Kyle, I'm merely Eric Carabell. Have an awesome weekend.